Ephesians chapter 4, if you have your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 4. There's an old nursery rhyme that uh, makes this statement in it, out with the old, in with the new. It was Robert Coles. He was a very renowned psychiatrist a number of years ago, and he told a graduating class of Harvard University in a commencement speech. He says, a high regard of psychiatry recently told me or left me in despair. I have been doing uh, therapy uh, with a man for 15 years. He's an angry, self-centered, and mean individual the first day he walked into my office. The only difference between now and then is he knows why he's mean and angry. Dr. Coles pointed out that although psychiatrists provided his client with insight that how to know his childhood emotional woundings and how it affected by his dysfunctional family and how he's become a dysfunctional adult, the man still hasn't changed. He concluded that what the man now needs wasn't information, but transformation. Then he asked the question, but how is transformation possible for human beings? Well, Mr. Coles, I'm glad you asked. Because transformation is possible. Jesus said it this way, John 3, 3. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. When I was in Ireland, I actually had a banner with that, and I would hang it behind me preaching because of the staunch Catholic background of Ireland and many that came in, although uh, they were not practicing, Ireland was full of all sorts of secularism and such. Uh, uh, it was interesting that be, they would revert to their Catholicism because people revert to religion to, to, you know, well, I've been a Catholic since I was born. Well, yeah, but you know what? You're involved in all sorts of things that are wrong. They'll all go to Mass Sunday morning and go to the pub Sunday afternoon. Maybe go home with someone else's wife Sunday night. I mean, they're not living a lifestyle of Christianity at all, but they'll revert to that. Don't you know how long? The issue that Jesus talks about being born again is transformation. The power of a a testimony. I had done a single... Sunday school in Prescott, and we had, uh, there's a couple in Prescott, they do uh, 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 stigography for the courts, they do videography and all of this, and they uh, travel all around, they've done some very high profile cases, they ended up both playing in a music group that I had, good people, and they mentioned that, you know what, you can bring in all the experts you want, a personal testimony makes more impact on a jury than an expert. Because for every expert you can find that humans are the cause of global warming, you can find that humans aren't the... You can find another expert that tells you the opposite. And who you're going to believe is who you're already bent to believing. That's the way an expert works, but an actual testimony of someone who has either experienced or 
witnessed has more impact. The power of a changed life, a sinner to a saint, someone who's transformed. In our text, though, Paul tells us that it's not just all on God. Your salvation is not all. God does it for free, but you do bear some responsibilities in it. So I want to look with you at this understanding. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. He says, with the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander from the life of. Uh, they wander far from the life of God, given uh, the life that God gives, because they have closed minds and their hearts are against Him. They have no sense of shame. They live lustful uh, pleasures and eagerly practice with all kinds of impurity. But that isn't what you have learned about Christ. For since you've heard about Jesus, you've learned that uh, the truth that comes from Him. Throw off your old sinful nature your, and your former ways of life, which corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous. And holy. Now, Paul is comparing the lifestyles of sinners or those that do not know God. A Gentile was simply anyone who was not a Jew, it was anyone who lived against the basic understanding or revelation of God. This was common in Paul's day, just like it's common in our day. It's, in fact, it's been common in the earth since the beginning. Since Adam, since Adam took the bite and Eve had offered. It tells us a number of marks of those that do not know God. One is that their thinking is wrong. It says that they're hopelessly confused in verse 17, that their minds are full of darkness. In verse 18, it goes on to say that they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have a wrong way of thinking. The terminology that's actually used here is that it's full of darkness or it's empty or literally literally devoid of anything. It's the thought of space, that out in space is a large vacuum with nothing in it. There's, no, there's nothing there. And so this is the point of what Paul is saying in their minds, their way they think. Romans, he wrote it this way, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky and everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal powers and His divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, but they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds were darkened and confused. Confusion, 
mental issues of our day reign in our uh, in society right now. People have issues. I I listen to podcasts and they'll advertise uh, online therapy that you can call in anonymously and talk to people. And there's people who do this. And I'm not opposed to counseling. And I think some people do it. Need it. Uh, they need some understanding. They need to understand that the way they're thinking is wrong. But that's the very issue is that it's the way you think. The media, our world, goes after your mind. An old lyricist wrote this verse, and I've always been fascinated. Even as a sinner, I was fascinated by this verse. It says, I've listened to preachers and I've listened to fools. I've watched all the dropouts who make their own rules. One person conditioned to rule and control, the media sells it, and you, play the, you live the role. We live in a day where the media sells lifestyle. You've all read and heard about the insane controversies with Disney and the leaked Zoom meeting that they had, that they have an agenda. It's not just about cartoons and, and entertaining children. It's all about witchcraft. And now they're leaning heavily towards homosexuality. Making it normal. An absolute agenda. And if you don't believe me, you can go on YouTube, you can find the meeting that was leaked with all the executives talking about how they're planning to work this in to their agenda. This is what the media does. Sells that mindset that separates us from God. Did God say that? Well, you think another way. Dark confusion, and empty. Paul had written before this in Ephesians 2. He says, don't forget that Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called the uncircumcised heathen by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected their bodies only and not their hearts. And in those days, they were living, uh, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel and did not know the covenant promises that God had made them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Kind of like the Cold War. The Cold War was between the former Soviets and the Western, mostly the United States. The Warsaw Pact versus NATO. What this was, was a Cold War because it actually wasn't a war where bullets were fired, although there were a bunch of proxy wars in Korea and, and Vietnam and some other places that did take place. But the thought is it's a standoff. It was this Cold War, it was, it was based on the uh, thought of mad, mutual, mass, uh, uh, mutual total destruction, or, or uh, whatever it was, but they, they knew that this would happen. If they launched, we launched, it was all done. But shots weren't always being fired, but it was always tense. I had a friend, whose son is here actually, uh, who one day, we were, we were going to work, 
And he reached for the door and he heard a boom. And he closed his eyes and he started counting for the nuclear cloud to come. And we lived that way. 1983, Reagan was in office and it was just that way. It's probably a jet breaking the sound barrier, but at that point you didn't know. There's always the thought of that Cold War, being in a foreign camp, being totally opposed to the ideology of the other side. That's how we many times approach God. We're opposed to, as a sinner, his ideology. And as a Christian, it is up to us to allow God to change our minds. Not us to finally get it. Colossians 1.21, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by the evil thoughts and actions. The mind is probably one of the few things we can change even when we get older. When, we, when, we're, you know, when we're young, we can change career, play, all that. But you can always change your mind. You can realize that you were wrong. That I was thinking wrong. My conclusions were wrong. God won't make you change your mind. He may make you wish you changed your mind, but he won't make you change your mind. He'll allow you to think wrong. People who gave themselves over to idolatry, that entered in more and more and more. And as a result of that, they lose their sense of shame. We live in a day where people are caricatures of what you used to imagine people being. They're, they, they're, bla- they're, you know, legalizing marijuana, legalizing all of these things that are destructive. Thinking it's strange that you don't. Our text says that they have no shame. They live for their lustful pleasures and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. This terminology actually has to do with animalistic tendencies. That they just deprave themselves to that level. Adam Clark said the true picture of the Gentile world, uncleanness, lechery and debauchery of every kind, flourished among them without restraint, almost as all their gods and goddesses were of this character. We don't have the gods and goddesses of ancient days like they did. We just have the media pops, pop-tarts of the generation. The flavor of the month that dictates how you dress, how you act, what to think about all the issues of life, This has been emphasized in our day with social media. 
And if you don't believe they're aiming for your minds, listen to this. This is like shocking. The next forerunner of advertisement isn't virtual reality or holograms. It's your dreams. According to sleep researchers, they warn that the practice could soon become a nightmare. In an open letter, the scientists criticize the uh, concept of dream advertising, using audio and video clips, companies engineer into their ads to get into your subconscious. In their letter, they say uh, that this does not only, uh, is not only a theory, but the practice already exists. Even a beer company has publicly tested it in Super Bowl 55. Sleep researchers cite a press release of example of the Molson Core Beverage Company openly admitting to trying to manipulate your dreams and collectively give you visions of their alcoholic beverages dancing in your, in your head. So how exactly do marketers slither into our dreams? Molson Coors contributed with Harvest, Harvard uh, psychology professor uh, Deborah Bennett. Bennett worked out with Coors' team to develop a stimulation film that had relaxing, refreshing images of waterfalls, mountains, and of course, Coors. It was easy to see when researchers concerned that their scientific powers make their way into advertising, especially in an advertising a product that potentially performs habitual with consequences. Think about that. They're doing research to get into your dreams. This is like science fiction stuff. And we're well past Super Bowl 55, by the way. I don't know which one we're up to, but that was a number of years ago. They're trying to affect the way you think. 1 Peter 4.3 You have had enough in your past of the evil things and the godless people enjoy, the immorality and the lust, their feasting and their drunkenness, their wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Paul makes the comment that you and I have to cast it off. In our text, verses 20 through 22, But it isn't what you learned about Christ. For since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which has corrupted by the lust and deception. He says, take it off. It's literally the thought of taking it and throwing it away. That's the picture, he says. You know those magazines? You need to get rid of them. You know some of that old music that you hang on? You need to get rid of it. To get rid of those things that corrupt and deceit, deceive you into thinking, Differently. N.T. Wright said these words, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project. Not to satch people away from the earth, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. The word, you can look this up, to throw off, actually means to renounce, to actually lay aside. 
It's the thought of making a decision to put some things away. Some things that are bad. Some things that are there. There are some things that aren't necessarily evil that you have to put aside. You have to say, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not going to be involved in that. Like my wife's decision when one of her friends said, if you marry one of them Victory Chapel boys, you're going to end up, you know, stuck your life. She said, I don't care. I'm going to serve God. Romans 6, 5 and 6, since we've been united with him in his death, we shall all so be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ, that our sin might lose its power in our lives and we are no longer slaves to sin. Yes, God does miracles to take away habits. From the day I got saved to the day I've never, I used to smoke all sorts of cigarettes and other things, which are legal now, but anyway, statute of limitations is over. But, it, you know, God set me free. I haven't, from this day, from that day to this, I have not. But there are other decisions I had to make. Like, I had to make the decision to go home and get rid of all my concert t-shirts. Of all sorts of Ozzy Osbourne, Black Sabbath, all these wonderful non-Christian groups. I had to make a decision that I was going to stop going to those kinds of concerts. Nobody put a gun to my head and said, you're going to stop. I had to make those decisions. Before it was in ministry standards. I had a television in my room. I said, you know what? No more. And I just unplugged it because I was still living at home with my mom. But no. Moved out of her house, have never owned a television. Bought a few for the church and such, but never owned one in my house. Made decisions that I'm not going to do that. Renewed in the spirit of your mind, verse 23. Let the Spirit renew your mind and your thoughts and attitudes. You have to be willing to let God change your mind. I've had Christians, and and it shocks me that, you know, that that they still think abortion is okay. Like, really? God hasn't changed your thinking yet? Don't realize, right, most abortions start with fornication, which is already a sin? Changes your money, your mind about money. Changes your mind about drugs and alcohol. Changes your mind about how you treat other people. I, I am lost how someone can be prejudiced against a race or a color or whatever and say they're a Christian. Lost. How can you say that they're less or you're better? Or how, how does that work? 
You know, I've been, I have been the minority walking down the street. I've walked in Zambia, Africa, where I'm the only white guy. I've walked in China, where I'm, you know, the, they, pass, they pass a black guy coming at me. We're like, hey, man, you know, we feel it. We're both the minority here. I've been there. I understand. I didn't live there. I haven't suffered horrible prejudice like some people have. But I don't understand how that happens. How God hasn't laid hold of your mind enough. Or are you hanging on? Or even worse, are you feeding yourself with that kind of garbage? Romans 12.2 Do not copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into the new person by changing the way you think. You know, most Christian battles are won and lost up here. That's where most Christianity is really played out. If you've won up here, it plays out in your actions. If you've lost out here, it plays out in your actions. Your mind is critical for this. That's why he says in Romans 1.20, for since... They thought it to be foolish to acknowledge God. They abandoned, he abandoned them to foolish thinking and let them do things that should have never been done. He says, you didn't learn this in Christ. In the video series we just showed, he, Pastor Morris made a very interesting statement. We are the church, but more than the church, we are the bride of Christ. The bride who makes herself ready for the groom. Now, again, I'll draw from a personal illustration. My wife, when we got married, I didn't have to tell her to make herself up. I knew she was going to. She's already a beautiful woman, but she, the makeup, the dress, the whole thing. She's absolutely gorgeous. The young boy in her Sunday school class, there were a number of young boys in her Sunday school class that had crushes on her, but one of them, he was married, he's a pastor today, so I won't tell you that it's Corey Winslow. I mean, Jason, Win, uh, Jason Winslow, Corey's his wife. But Jason's three years old, and he's just learning to talk, and he is so beautiful. So they, his parents still tease him this day about that. Because he's married with a bunch of kids now and pastoring in Brockton, Mass, and just a great guy. But three years just stunned. I'm thinking, smart boy, smart boy. Anyway, we're the bride of Christ. Are you making yourself ready to meet Jesus? Shouldn't have to be told. Most girls, they, they, they go over the top. They get into bridezilla brain, and it's kind of dangerous. Right? What's the data? You know, that thought. Making yourself ready. That's what Paul is getting at. She did that for herself, yes, but she did it for me. As her husband, would you do that for your husband, Jesus Christ? 
1 John 2.27, but you have received the Holy Spirit that lives in you, and you do not have, uh, have need that anyone teach you what is true, for the Spirit teaches everything that you, sh- uh, you need to know. He teaches you what is true. It is not a lie. Just as you've been taught, you remain in the fellowship with Christ. Now, people use that in rebellion. I don't need anybody to teach me. The Holy Spirit teaches me everything I need to know. That is not what John is saying. But he's saying as teaching goes forward, you'll know if it's right or not. You better know. You better know the Word of God. But in your spirit, you'll know because it will make you a better believer. That is the goal of teaching. It'll make you a better believer. And if you begin to act in a way that makes you not a better believer, the first one that puts his finger on your heart is the Holy Spirit. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? Is it making you right with Christ? Does this make you a better believer? That's what Paul is saying, John is saying here, in the nature of Christ. Don't you want to please your... See, so many people approach Christianity as just a concept or a religion. Religion just has a prophet. A prophet gives you a set of rules, and then you try to live your life finding the loopholes. That's what religion does. Muslims will drink on a plane because it says in the Quran, you shall not drink wine on the earth. They found a loophole. That's what people... But Christianity is not about a teaching. It's about a teacher. Are you trying to please the teacher? Some of you may have been, and if you were homeschooled, don't tell me it was you, but, you know, you went to public schools or whatever. Right, teacher's pet. The one that the teacher liked. If it was your mom, well, that's a different story. But anyway, you know, teacher's pet. Don't you want to be... We're about Jesus here. About G, it's not about a, rules. It's about a person. Are you pleasing that person. Because he makes the statement now, not just off with the old, but now on with the new. In our text, it says, very straightforward, verse 24, put on the new nature, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Putting on is the same effort as it is to take off. That you actually make a willful effort to put on Christ. Let me ask a question, and I know the answer already. How many of you got dressed this morning? Just saying. You made an effort to do that. Some more than others, I get it, but whatever. You made an effort to put on, to make a decision. 
to not just do what you used to do. Colossians 3.10, put on your new nature. Be renewed as you learn to know about the character. And be, uh, I'm sorry, to learn about your creator and become like him. To be renewed in the mind is also the thought of, how do I please God? Because that's what this ultimately boils down to. How do you please God? Is God pleased with your conduct? Ephesians 2, verse 10, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things as he planned for us long ago. You've got to change the way you think. He mentions two things here. One is the word righteousness. Righteousness, by definition, is simply doing that which is right. You just check your behavior. Is it right? Am I doing right? Do I steal this $20 or do I give it back to the person who belongs to it? Which is the right thing to do in God's sight? Do I go to work and give my boss a fair time or do I just cheat him? What is the right thing to do? This is the easier one of the two. Because doing what is right simply deals with business of life. Do we treat people right? Do we do things right? Do we, do we handle our money right? Do we pay our bills? You know, paying your tithe and not paying our GE is not right. Well, they're thieves and liars. Well, maybe, but they also keep your lights on. And your heat, your house heated. The way it is. Society today. Righteousness is the outward proof of God working in your life. It changes. Do I cheat on my wife? Do I not? Do, you know, what do I look at? What do I read? What do I listen? Where I go? Those things. But holiness. He says true holiness. This is a little different than righteousness. Because this takes place in the heart. This is where it happens. Holiness, righteousness happens here. We make a decision. Holiness happens here. It's a heart issue. Second Peter 3, 11 and 12. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should you should live? Looking forward to the day that God the day of God, and hurrying along on that day, the heavens will be set on fire, the elements will melt away with the flames. You know what? This place, it's all going to be judged. Someday, maybe in your lifetime, maybe not. But God wants true holiness. That takes place here. How you treat what he calls his. How you live when nobody's looking. 
That's true holiness. It's God who does amazing things. You can cast off the old, put on the new. John Entwistle was the bass player for a little group called The Who. Back in the... The Who was famous. Let me just back up for this. They, they weren't as good as some of the other British bands that came over, so they needed a stick. And their stick was they smashed guitars on stage. Pete and, uh, Peter, uh, Peter and Twistle, uh, John Entwistle and Peter Townsend, the, the guitarist and the bass player, would smash their basses, their guitars on stage, break them up, and destroy them, walk off. And I, they would always buy cheap ones to do this and all that. During a tour, John Entwistle took five different broken basses, and he made it into one bass. He called it Frankenstein. The rest of the band came into the room, and he's jumping up and down saying, it's alive, it's alive, is the way he described his creation. He said, I put it together on a day off in San Francisco. We were partway through a tour, and I took the remains of five smash bases and named it Frankenstein. It was the mid-70s. I took different ones from, a, from bases. I'll spare you the bases. They were fascinating to me, but I'll spare you. It had to do with some very nice bases. And he said, with a screwdriver and a soldering iron, he put it together. After Entwistle's death, the base went up for auction by, on, by Sotheby's Sutte, in London. They figured it would fetch about $10,000. It ended up going for a staggering $100,000. I began to think about that. Because the writer of the article said, anyone looking at these broken guitars would have thought them good for nothing. Not to be fixed, but to be thrown out. The eye of a craft, master craftsman could see the potential of resurrection. But what is fascinating to me is not only does Jesus resurrect our lives when we put on the new, he makes them worth something far greater than we could imagine. Far greater. He'll take the brokenness and make it new. But you have to make the choice. Will you cast off the old and put on the new? Let's bow our heads for just a moment. You're here this morning. Maybe you're not right with God. Maybe you're caught up in the old mindsets, the ways the media thinks, the way, what the world is selling you. It's affected everything in your mind from sex to abortion to money to lifestyle, what you should wear, dress, whatever. It affects everything about us. If you let it. The media sells it and you live the role. But the good news is there's a way out. There's a way out through Jesus Christ. He died so that you could be born again. He rose again, so he has the power to change your life. If you're here this morning, you're not right with God, you need Jesus. 
I wonder if you'd slip up your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not right with God. I'm not saved. Or maybe you're backslidden. You're away from God. You need to come back to Jesus very quickly. Say, that's me. I need Jesus. I need to get my heart right with God. Anyone at all, very quickly. Changing the call then to Christians. The enemy's goal is your mind. And what is he trying to get you away from? Righteousness and true holiness. If Christ is just a concept, you'll be looking for the loopholes. If Christ is a person, your future husband, then you'll be willing to do what it takes to make yourself right and to look and present yourself the best to him. Because that's what Paul is writing. Out with the old, in with the new. Yes, God does miracles for us. Thank God for that. But there are decisions that he leaves up to you to make. Will you cast off this? Will you get rid of that? Will you take, throw out the old and bring in the new? Let's all stand. We're going to open up these altars, allow people to find a place to pray, sing a song. Worship his name. That on his